0: this is the oanda podcast brought to you by jazz fm's business breakfast you're listening to the oanda market insights podcast brought to you with jazz fm business breakfast i'm johnny hart each week we preview the business and market stories for the week to come with oanda senior market analyst craig earlham and very good afternoon
1: to craig how are you doing I am absolutely fantastic. I, well, it's a matter of opinion, really, let's be honest. <laughs> I have a week off next week, so ah, I am I in a very, very good mood right now. Probably half a foot out the door already. Oh, I was half a foot out the door last sorry, week. So oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm two feet in there. We won't detain you too long, Craig, and let you get on your holiday. Markets up on the news that trade negotiations between Beijing and Washington could conclude as soon as two weeks. These rumours are around at the moment,
1: aren't they? They are. And it's interesting. We haven't really been set a new deadline, which suggests that a neither side feels and I imagine particularly the Trump administration don't feel like a new deadline is necessary at this moment. They're quite encouraged by how these talks are going uh, and view it as just a matter of time, as opposed to there being some massive hurdles still to overcome. There's been a lot of speculation that it's not now just about the trade deficit, that they really are going heavy on things like intellectual property, etc. They do want solid agreements in place and measurable uh, objectives uh, as well. And this is probably likely to be linked to uh, tariffs and the removal of tariffs and avoiding the reimposition of them. So it does seem... For all the grief, I guess that people like to give them, I and we we can only really judge them on what the final deal will look like. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of things written about it. It does seem like these talks they've been taken very seriously, and it is going to be a more, more of a comprehensive deal than maybe it first appeared when we realised it was 90 days. How can something like this be agreed in 90 days? Again, let's wait to judge till later on. But it seems like good progress is being made, and that is very good for markets but it's also very good for the rest of us as well we are in a situation right now whereby the global economic outlook is very much clouded uh, and this is the world's two largest economies who are directly going to be impacted by an escalation of a trade war and the rest of us will be indirectly impacted so i think this i think everyone can safely agree that this is good news
0: and it's good news for uh, Donald Trump as well he could do with a bit of that couldn't he after the disappointment in Vietnam with the breakdown of the north korea talks and of course The Michael Cohen uh, testimony as well.
1: Yeah, safe to say that there's a lot going on (laughs) surrounding Trump right now. But we've been saying that for the last two years, and he, he he's certainly taken on a very ambitious agenda. And there's certain things where we've made significant headway. One of which, obviously, is the tax reforms. Uh, another, it seems now, is these trade talks with China. I think he is going to move on to uh, Europe and, in particular, Germany next. But he may well leave that for his next uh, campaign. Um, leave if people wanting one. more. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's things where he's been less successful, thinking like Obamacare and um, and also now in this North Korea situation. It looked like they were making progress after the first one, but I remember we were saying at the time, right? This was they had they agreed on denuclearization but it was very evident very early on that both sides have a different had a different idea of what denuclearization actually meant and that seems to be the breaking point right now uh, how much denuclearization was necessary uh for for the uh, uh for the sanctions to be removed and how quickly the sanctions would be removed etc so clearly there is quite significant differences and for the differences to be so sizable that there's not even a press conference at the end and there's no joint communique that suggests to me that there's a big big old gap uh, between them and there's talk about them meeting in eight months or so i guess we'll wait and see but this is one that i think is, is, is proving to be a much more challenging prospect for Uh, the president than he anticipated looking
0: ahead to the week to come and we've got the u.s jobs report that's going to be interesting because we're going to see if the shutdown that ended in late
1: january had any impact on those figures this is probably the standout event in many people's eyes and there is a lot actually going on this week This is probably, in many people's eyes, the standout event. It's weird. We're going from a very, very political week to a very, very economic week. So the jobs report is for February. By the time February came, the government shutdown had ended right at the end of January. So you'd think there'd be no direct impact of the uh, shutdown on the actual jobs figures. Although if you look at the January ones, you'd say there was no impact on them either. So uh, it's hard to know. The one thing we have seen from the December-January numbers is the, the, the enormous revisions and the massive uh, initial readings for the actual non farm payrolls figure. Unemployment at 4% was impacted by the shutdown, so I'd expect that to potentially tick lower again. But it's those non farm payrolls, job creation. Uh, we had a massive figure in December that was sharply revised lower. We had a massive figure in January. Will that be revised lower as well? What will this do to the February figure? It's one of those things where people are suggesting that there was no real impact on, from the government shutdown, and you just look at the data release and you say, it seems that whether it's by the collection of the data by the distortions that the economy uh, suffered during that time potentially people getting some of this um more gig economy type jobs whether that had any impact on the actual figures where people effectively had multiple jobs what does that do to the figures as well i guess we're going to see it smooth out over the next couple of months and we'll have a much better idea but if we can see another strong jobs report then i think everyone will be encouraged and encouraged at a time when i think kind of need some encouragement the economy globally has slowed as i've already uh, uh, attested to fourth quarter gdp in the us was um was better than expected but also did confirm that annual annualized growth for the four quarters was slightly shy of th- uh, trump's three percent target so clearly it's not all uh, all going fantastic and this is with tax cuts giving that boost to the economy now we don't have that this year I think people want to see a really good, strong start.
0: Plenty of central bank meetings to come. ECB, uh, Bank of Canada and Reserve Bank of Australia. Which stands out for you most?
1: ECB stands out most. It's the uh, it's the biggest central bank, without doubt. So that one stands out most for me. In terms of whether we're expecting any shocks, I'd say no. Uh, the simple reason being that, yes, the ECB didn't uh, actually change its uh change its uh, views or the outlook at the last meeting but there was no new economic forecast these central banks they tend to wait for fresh economic forecasts before making any uh, significant changes so we will get the new economic projections now i expect the ecb will push back the first rate hike uh, since 2011 to either late in the year but maybe even early next year which rules out mario draghi's turn so that's one thing to look out for i think downward revisions to growth and inflation is all but priced in and just the dovish language as well which we're going to get and it's about finding uh the a good balance really i guess from uh from draghi's perspective because he wants to come across dovish and supportive and show that the central bank's there without actually scaring people and suggesting that there's a problem and when italy is in recession and germany is narrowly escaping recession there clearly is an issue but they don't want to freak people out so it's about finding that good uh that, that good balance and the other thing that people want to know about as well is tltro's Something that they have been questioned about over the last uh, meeting or so: the potential for t- new TLTROs before the current batch expire in 2020, likely to be linked again to lending, not just supporting pr- uh, banks in the periphery. This is so. This is going to be another common theme. Although I do wonder at times just how much in how much people are actually interested in these kind of small technical, say small technical, but they are important, but still very technical uh, offerings.
0: Now, unusually, there's a political scandal going on in Canada at the moment. Poor old Justin Trudeau. What is happening with the Bank of Canada?
1: Yeah, we'll see We'll see how he charms his way uh, out of this one. Um, he is in a very difficult situation there, and this comes at a time also when the economy is slowing. We've now seen two consecutive months uh, of negative growth. That's not obviously a recession. That's two consecutive quarters. We've seen three out of four months actually with negative growth, so clearly the economy is very much stalled there in terms of what this means for the bank of canada um i think people are expecting a relatively dovish message again coinciding with what we're expecting elsewhere uh the, the, the when we look at the probabilities um on the various platforms there is still more chance of a hike than there is of a cut over the next three or four meetings which i find quite interesting given the situation we find ourselves in right now you look at the rba that's the other big central bank meeting next week the reserve bank of australia and they've got issues of their own they weren't expecting to uh, be talking about in raising interest rates anyway till 2020 so it's not going to come as a major surprise there that we're not expecting anything from that side but we are seeing uh, house price declines at quite a rapid rate in like sydney and melbourne and other areas as well the so there is um, economic concerns you could say here we know about the wealth effect from falling and rising house prices what impact that can have on consumer activity and therefore have on the overall economy so again more and more we're seeing economists start to price in the potential for a rate cut from the central bank so this as a as a cumulative three ECB, Bank Canada, RBA. It could be a really interesting week. Again, not necessarily ones that people follow quite as much as the Fed, but this is three central banks which are going potentially going to see a very dovish pivot, and that is very much aligned with what we're seeing elsewhere.
0: Let's turn to Brexit, and actually it's going to be a very quiet week, or so we believe no events of note we've got Stephen Barclay being quizzed by MPs but of course the key votes are the week following and we've said this so many times key vote key vote key vote this is the beginning of the end or etc it really is something genuinely real is going to happen we've got the vote for May's deal on the 12th a potential no deal vote on the 13th and a possible extension on the 14th so it's all going to be happening in that week. it's going to be absolutely fascinating isn't it
1: It really is. We constantly get caught off guard with the new path that this seems to take. It was only last week that I said I don't understand how May could possibly get away with not calling a vote of some kind on her deal this week. And she found a way probably about four hours after we recorded that podcast just to make a fool of me. Um, She found a way around it. She found assurances to offer. She offered the vote on uh, the extension to go alongside the next vote. I may be wrong. I really don't see any way of getting around this. That doesn't mean that a vote will pass, though. I still think there's another twist in this tale. I think there's a, probably a good chance that the UK sees the, tw- the vote on the 12th and says, we've still got time for one more little negotiation and one more vote before the month's out. It wouldn't surprise me if you, if we see May's... Deal defeated once again on the 12th. It could obviously pass, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's defeated. No deal will obviously be defeated in that uh, in that circumstance, and then it comes down to the extension on the 14th. But again, just because we agree to request an extension, it doesn't mean that the EU grants it, and that's where this becomes interesting. Isn't
0: it really down at the moment to the Attorney General and his codification of what the deal? could bring in terms of Northern Ireland and Ireland and uh, it might be that that is enough for the Brexiteers because there are Brexiteers out there who are fearing a second referendum or a very long extension and they're starting to actually change their tune a little bit and compromise has been in the air over the last few uh, days and hours.
1: That is absolutely what this seems to come down to. We we remember last time the Attorney General uh, suggested that It's unlikely, effectively, that we would be kept in this indefinite backstop, but it is a possibility, and that absolutely destroyed any chances that Theresa May's deal had of getting over the line. If he can't say, convincingly now to Parliament, uh, over the next two weeks, that we cannot be trapped in an indefinite backstop, then I don't see how this vote goes well for Theresa May on, on the 12th. And then again, it's a question of what follows next really Um, we have seen a softening from various brexiteers which suggest they are willing to vote for that i think the the setup of the tig has really had a big influence on that i think they were probably going to move that way anyway let's be honest this is all a game at the end of the day i think they were always going to support theresa may's deal rather than not support it and risk what comes uh, what what comes afterwards
0: although perhaps they didn't bet on labour coming up with their second referendum uh, idea
1: Exactly, and this is where we are seeing the full political circus play out because I don't think Labour were really banking on um, nine party members resigning uh, and joining with three Conservative members who resign and forming this breakaway group that's what's currently being known called the TIG or Tiggers, as we were saying, um, uh, as as they're referring to themselves or people are referring them to. And that has really forced the hand of Jeremy Corbyn because now he's reluctantly had to say that we will offer a second referendum if government rejects their version of what they should be going for for Brexit. Well, government rejected that the uh, uh, the vote this week, so they've been forced to back it in order to stem the bleeding, effectively stop more people leaving and joining this joining this breakaway group, and almost destroying Labour for the in the near term. We've already seen polls which suggest that. This new breakaway for voting intentions that this new breakaway group combined with the Lib Dems actually outpolls Labour already. I mean, that's quite phenomenal. It's probably not that accurate. People's, uh, once people, we've not even heard a policy, you know what I mean? So, I mean, it is kind of that knee jerk reaction. So, it's always going to look could be worse, worse than it is. It could be worse, it could be better. Um, but it, uh, I think this is probably exaggerated for now. But they've had to make this announcement to stem the bleeding. What this has also done is it's forced now the likes of jacob rees mogg to look at the re- the political reality of where they stand now parliament is not going to vote for a no deal they're very much aware of that the longer that this goes on the more chance there is of a an extension and the longer the extension goes on the longer sh- more chance there is of b a referendum and then there's actually a chance of remain so i think jacob rees mogg and his colleagues are going to be looking at this and saying Theresa may's deal isn't ideal and we will continue to put pressure on her right up until the last minute to get dragged any Final possible concessions we can out of the EU and then we will back the deal because at least Theresa May's deal is Brexit and it's workable and it's something that we can uh we, we can deal with in the future. But what we can't deal with is this being dragged out, a potential second referendum, potential remain, and then we're back to square one and when would the next and then and then and then it's all about beginning the fight once again. So I think Theresa May will get the numbers, but again it's just about how that happens. If they reject Theresa May's deal and then they reject um, uh, the no deal, and then they back, for example, an extension. Then they're relying on the EU to grant them the extension. Well, what would you do if you were the EU in that situation? Personally, I would say, do you know what? Here is your final deal, and your extension is dependent on accepting that deal. That gives the UK eight days, seven days, to vote on that deal, or accept that no deal is the only other viable, viable alternative, or you can always withdraw Article 50 and remain in the EU.
0: Very well put. Uh, let's go to the final point this week and the earnings ahead.
1: So there's there's a few earnings. There's much more of a focus now in the UK. We're very much at the tail end of the earnings season in the US and there's not really anything of note there. The, the You've got a number of names uh, in the UK reporting earnings. You've got Aviva, you've got Paddy Power, Betfair, Direct Line, Just Eat. The one that stands out for me is actually the partnership. It's John Lewis. And the reason is, John Lewis is almost like the beacon of the high street. The high street, which is very much struggling right now. And not just in the UK, in the US as well. But John Lewis over this side of the pond is very much the, the one that's the success story. And even they are struggling. They, they failed to make a profit when they reported uh, previously. And it looks like the entire year, going, they may fail to, to uh, report a profit again. They had that whole restructuring effort, um, which uh, they announced uh, not too long ago. So people are going to be paying a lot of attention to see how much that's paying off in the early stages and what their outlook is based on what they've seen so far. So that's the one I think is going to be of major interest. Uh, Obviously, there is other things that's happening as well, more political stories as well, obviously, the indian uh, india pakistan uh, tensions which have escalated quite significantly this week first time in decades that we've seen nuclear powers um, actually um, uh, the ten- tensions between nuclear powers actually escalate quite significantly so that's going to be a, a really interesting one to follow but hopefully not for long we can only hope that that de-escalates just as quickly as it escalated but i think that's going to be a key theme. i don't think it's had an impact on markets this week some may argue otherwise I I think it's in too much of the early stages to have had an impact, but that doesn't mean that investors aren't going to be very much paying close attention to it.
0: Okay, Craig Earlham, thanks very much indeed. Thank you.